Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, everyone. We are going to continue with our relationships and rivalries series that we are doing here on the podcast, looking at various relationships around the world. Very happy to have a Wilson Fellow with us. He is housed in the Global Europe program within the Wilson Center. Nicola Casarini, who is from the Institute of International Affairs in Rome. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me today. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast because you and I were on a panel the, just the other day uh, from, from this recording as we sit here, uh, and your presentation really fascinated me. You're, you have been studying the relationship between China and the EU. You laid out in your presentation a bunch of statistics that I think would be surprising to a lot of regular, everyday Americans. Um, and then had some conclusions of what to do with that in the policy world that I thought were pretty striking. So I want to walk through some of that. Tell us a little bit about the relationship between the EU and China that you think would be uh, just not really common knowledge for everyday Americans that aren't immersed in trade issues every day. Yes, thank you for the question. What I think many Americans do not know, when they think about the China and US relations, they think this is the most important relationship when it comes to trade and investment. It is not. If we look at the aggregate terms, the EU and China uh, relationship is more important. In fact, for China, the European Union at 27, which means the 27 member states of the European Union, which is considered a single entity when it comes to trade and investment, given that the European Union has exclusive competence on that. So for China, the EU is the most important trading partner. It's the number one trading partner. The United States comes second. So already on trade issues, we know that whatever the EU and China do will have important implications for the United States given the size. Another element which probably many people do not know is also monetary issues, for instance. We know that the euro, the currency used by the eurozone, is like the second most important currency after the dollar. But probably not many people know that China has started to diversify its investment of foreign exchange by less dollars and more euros. In other words, when the United States and China discuss about monetary issues, the importance of the dollar, it is not just a bilateral relationship. Also, the Eurozone has to be taken into account because the Chinese use relations and the buy and selling of euros in order also to determine the parity with the dollar. So those are just a, a couple of examples that many Americans are not very aware of when they think about the U US and China relations. So they think that this relationship happens in a void, 
it is not like that. And the EU and in the Eurozone, in the case of the uh, European car, um, common currency, do play a significant role here and they can have some important implications for United States foreign policy. Well, that is interesting. I think you are right that most people would just automatically assume, because I think we've been sort of trained to assume to assume with superpower status of the world, maybe there's two, which would be the U.S. and China. Uh, so therefore, it really only should be the U.S. and China we're considering in this trade relationship. So you're really your research is showing the eurozone and and maybe just to help our listeners understand and, and maybe to enlighten me if I'm wrong, but the Eurozone is a block of 27 countries. They have sovereignty over many issues within those individual 27 countries, but on trade matters and on currency matters, the European Parliament based in Brussels or Strasbourg, wherever it is this week, uh, they are the ones that really, uh, they control trade policy. And so the Chinese, when they're looking at Europe, they're not looking at Italy, China trade and Germany, China trade. They're looking at the Eurozone. That's a very good point. But let me just uh, qualify a few things, because on trade, the EU, Brussels, has exclusive competence over the 27 member states that now uh, form the European Union. Since Brexit, we are 27. Before, with the United Kingdom, we were 28. When it comes to the Eurozone, only 17 uh, member states are part of the Eurozone, which means that they adopted the Euro. In fact, if you go to Sweden, for instance, you will still use the Swedish Corona. This makes uh, things very complicated, not only for the American public, I can assure you also for us, because we always have to make sure at which level we talk. But absolutely, you're right. The Chinese and the Europeans, when they, for instance, talk now about an important trade agreement. It is called a Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, which was signed at the end of December, or in any case announced, because it is not yet ratified. What the Chinese and the European Union did, they were doing negotiations at the level of Brussels and Beijing, which means that people in Berlin, in Paris, in Rome, they could only uh, try to lobby, very much like uh, here in, in Washington, you try to lobby Congress in order to get something, but you don't have the final voice. Same now at the level of member states, uh, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, they try to lobby on specific issues, the EU, because they hope that the EU will take decisions in a direction more favorable to their interest. But when it comes to actual negotiations, it is Brussels, the European Commission, and the Chinese. And this is on trade. Ha Brussels has exclusive competence, which means that no matter what Berlin and Paris say, at the end of the day, what is decided between Brussels and Beijing is, is the final uh, version. Now, the EU is very complicated, which means that uh, let's take the example of this comprehensive agreement on investment uh, that if it is ratified, will have uh, some important implications also for the United States. Now, in order to be ratified, it needs approval by the 27 member states. And what happens is the European Commission has negotiated, has reached an agreement with China, then 
the European Commission has to go in front of all the 27 member states and get and seek the approval. Usually the member states will approve because they decided already before the negotiations what will be the terms. But when it comes to the European Parliament, and I think this is important for the American uh, public, the European Parliament is not as important as Congress in the United States because it has limited uh, capabilities. However, on those issues where the EU has exclusive competence, like a trade, the European Parliament has a lot of power. In fact, this important piece of legislation, which is the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, has to be approved by the European Parliament. And this is something, again, that many Americans don't know, which means that l'Assemblée Nationale, you know, French Assembly in Paris, or the Bundestag in Berlin, they're not involved at this stage. It's only the European Parliament. So it is quite complicated. And if I may to finish with just one line, what seems to me from my research and my experience in Washington is that Americans take sometimes for granted that they can get things done with Europeans because of the common culture, the common heritage, history, etc. But they don't sometimes uh, know how to work with the EU system or with this EU machinery, which is very complicated. And in fact, sometimes they get it wrong. Whereas the Chinese have become very skillful at using the different levels of the EU. That's why the, sometimes the Chinese are able to divide the transatlantic allies because they can get things done in Brussels because they have become very good at playing the European Commission, the member states, etc. So it, that's the difficulty here, uh, not only to understand, but also at the practical level uh, to say, where do we need to intervene now if we want to get something done in terms of uh, trying to make sure that transatlantic relations is not weakened? And let me finish with that. Given the importance of the European Parliament nowadays, in particular on trade issues, this is an area where Congress should work more with the European Parliament. And what I see is nothing is happening. That's also pretty surprise. So I think Congress needs, of course, if they want, if they're interested, but I think it's pretty important to learn a bit more about these dynamics and also know that they don't need to talk to Paris or Berlin or Rome in this case. They need to talk to people in the European Parliament, which are now blocking <laughs> this comprehensive agreement on investment, because if they can get these people um, think very much as people in Congress think, then they could achieve something that from a Washington point of view would be a victory, which means to have an eventual agreement between EU and China, which does not undermine the transatlantic alliance. It does not have too many implications for U.S. national security. So I want to talk. I want to talk more about China. Then I get. I understand the the interparliamentary dialogue probably needs to be raised. Um, but sometimes when you raise that, sometimes people are like, "Well, who has the time?" So you need to have some kind of impetus to do that. Maybe that impetus is China. So explain to us how this relationship between China and the EU and this this greater trade relationship than many Americans realize that we have, how can U.S. policymakers use that uh, knowledge to do something in China policy? I would start again with the trade policy. 
European China relations that are now at a very low level, in particular after Chinese um, authorities put sanctions on uh, European institutions and, and individuals in March because the European Union had previously uh, put sanctions on officials in Xinjiang because of the violation of the human rights happening there. So we are talking about uh, relations between Europe and China. They used to be pretty good and now they're not very good. However, China knows that what drives Europe, uh, Europe's China policy is still uh, um, cooperation and economic issues. Europe does not have a system of alliances in place in Asia. Europe will not have to confront militarily uh, China, even if Taiwan is attacked or something happens, because it will be left to the care of the United States. In a way, Europe free rides on America's commitment in the Indo-Pacific. The Chinese know it very well, and the Chinese know how to uh, improve relations with Europe by offering uh, to Europeans things that that the Europeans want. So when it comes to trade, for instance, the Chinese have offered to uh, the Europeans more market access and more possibilities to do business in China. This is enshrined in this deal that I explained before, the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, which is something different to what China did with the United States under Trump with the so-called phase one, which is actually maintained by the Biden administration, as we know, uh, listening to the speech given by the trade representative on October the 4th. What does it mean this for the United States? It means that the Chinese are trying to um, seal a deal with the Europeans, this comprehensive agreement on investment, the Europeans or the EU, which is China's number one trading partner, so it is an important deal, try, of course, by this deal to offset some of the losses that the Chinese had to endure by signing the Trump phase one deal. So you here have a practical, um, a practical, like, um, representation of the triangular relationship in terms of trade, whereby the Chinese are playing the European card by offering European companies more market access, better investment protection, promising certain things in order to offset what they're losing with the, China, with the United States phase one. Of course, if CHI, this comprehensive agreement on investment will eventually be ratified, it will have consequences for the United States. But the Chinese could then say, but well, we're doing this with the Europeans. We cannot do that anymore with you uh, in Washington. Well, that's interesting because it almost sounds like they're double dipping because we've discussed on this podcast before when those trade deals were going through, that trade war was going on with China in the Trump administration. The Chinese basically worded it as like, hey, we'll buy the, the $200 billion worth of stuff if we need it. And then coronavirus hit, and they haven't lived up to that side of the deal. So they're still continuing this comprehensive agreement on investment with the Europeans to still create this wedge. Uh, okay, the the so-called CHI, the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, is not yet ratified. It is frozen now because of the sanctions, and the European Parliament, which is supposed to give the green light, has blocked the ratification process. So this deal is not yet 
um, operational, not yet uh, um, in, um, it's not yet a reality. But that's why looking forward, I would expect China to put more pressure on the Europeans to adopt the CHI. You have some powerful forces also in Europe, but still in favor of this uh, investment agreement. Uh, Merkel, even if she's not the chancellor anymore, she was the one pushing forward this agreement, but also France, Macron, and after the AUKUS, the Australia, United Kingdom, United States deal, France is uh, a bit disappointed and possibly leaning more towards trying to seal a deal with China. But China is really putting a lot of pressure. Xi Jinping made it a priority last year to uh, announce the final negotiations of the deal by the end of 2020. And in fact, that happened. It will be very interesting to uh, follow what Xi Jinping will say tomorrow on the 5th of November. Tomorrow, there will be the opening ceremony of an important uh, um, export uh, 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 fair in, in Shanghai. It is called the China Import International Import Exhibition, which is very political, very important for China. Xi Jinping will give the opening speech. Last year, Xi Jinping said and mentioned directly the comprehensive agreement of investment with the EU as one of the top priorities. So it will be very interesting to, uh, to see what he will say tomorrow, because it could give some indications that China might be ready to give some concessions to the European Union, in particular, the lifting of some of the sanctions imposed on some members of the European Parliament, because we cannot imagine the European Parliament greenlighting a deal when some of the members are under Chinese sanctions. So the Chinese will be ready to give some concessions in order to split the transatlantic allies and send a message to the United States, we can cooperate with Europeans, the Europeans may be happy because they will get some market access, some better uh, protection of their uh, business interests in China. And then the Chinese will come to Washington and say, hey, yes, we said to you that we will buy these things if we need it, but that, we don't need it anymore because we have this deal with the Europeans, and sorry, uh, since you always are not that very friendly to us, to say the least, because you know that how, how the China rhetoric is in Washington, but the Chinese may have a better card to use in uh, their negotiations with Washington. And I think this will happen, absolutely, because the Chinese will try the best they can to split the transatlantic allies so that they can confront the United States from a position of strength. So thinking out on the horizon, if there were ever a challenge between the U.S. and China in the South China Sea, in Taiwan, on the Nine Dash Line, Guam, on Xinjiang, on human rights, it seems like we need to be aware of what the Europeans are doing because nothing is going to work without the biggest trading partner that China has being on board. That China has being on board. Uh, yes, um, maybe I wouldn't say nothing because I think the United States and its Asian allies will have the capabilities to do some harm to China. However, it is true that if something happens on the South China Sea or in the case of Taiwan, and the United States will have to intervene in whatever form, it is true that given the size, importance of the EU for China's economy, 
if you want to impose a blockade or put some sanctions on Beijing, you do need Europeans. If only because if the Europeans decide not to take side, it will be much more problematic for Washington and its Asian allies to uh, push the Chinese into a certain direction. So I think it is true that, uh, and this is actually a problem that I see in the European Union. On Taiwan, we are witnessing a change of tone, for instance, in Germany. The new coalition government in Germany that it is taking place, I mean, they are having discussions, seems to be much more tough on China and much more pro-Taiwan. And this is actually a good news because uh, it is a bit more principled than the usual uh, tradition of German foreign policy of making trade with China, besides uh, too many considerations regarding security, etc. We also have a new uh, resolution it's actually called a recommendation by the European Parliament approved a few weeks ago that asked the EU to promote more and better relations from an economic and political point of view with Taiwan. So we have these new dynamics. However, some member states are still reluctant to send some unfriendly messages to China. My point is the following. We have a debate in Europe, and it would be in the long-term interest of the United States to try to follow this debate and try to intervene at key points, at, key, at, the, at the right institutional level, at the right moment, in order to make sure that if something happens on Taiwan, on the South China Sea, the Europeans will not be left in the void and say, oh, what do we do? They should already know that the United States will ask the Europeans to support American foreign policy in the region, because otherwise, if the Europeans do not want to take a decision, if the Europeans will try to play the card of, we don't know how this confrontation happened, we don't know who's the responsibility, if something between China and the United States is, they may try to be, to remain, um, let's say, neutral. And neutrality in this case is not good for the United States because they may need all the allies in order to put pressure on China. So that's my position. So there are some mm -hmm. dynamics going in the direction of being more principled on human rights, of being more pro-Taiwan because Taiwan is a democracy. However, those dynamics do not mean that the EU will automatically side with the United States in order to impose sanctions on China if something happens in the Indo-Pacific. Well, that is a fascinating conclusion there, which I think uh, from Italy, your, your uh, home institution is in Rome. So you're obviously looking at it from within the European Union. I think policymakers who listen to this podcast uh, may find it interesting that, hey, you cannot eliminate the EU from your calculations when dealing with China. And I think that that is a fascinating, uh, fascinating angle that I probably doesn't get enough play here in Washington. So Nicola Casarini, thank you so much for joining us on the need to know podcast. Thank you so much to you from, for the invitation. All right. Well, we'll hope to have you back on sometime soon to talk more about this. And for our listeners, if you want to find more of our podcasts, be sure to check out wilsoncenter.org slash podcasts, and we will see you on the next episode.